Hello and welcome to episode number 29 of Off The Block Swimming Podcast. Thank you all for downloading our show today, wherever you are listening. I'm your host, Robbie Cox. Now, another big week ahead on the show, and we are starting off with Dolphins team member, I am champion and Olympian, Mr. Travis Marnie. Had the opportunity to chat with Travis on the phone a few weeks ago, went through his training down in Adelaide during COVID-19, his love of sports, his swimming career so far, some hidden motivations, his coaches, as well as being a part of the International Swimming League. So get yourself set up on the lounge, get warm, get comfy, because Ep29 with Travis Marnie starts now. Away they go. No problems with the start. There is two 100s in the second in it. Gary Hall Jr., the extrovert, and Ian Thorpe battling it out down the pool. Thorpe is starting to go away from him. Oh, he's blowing him away now. Thorpe's gone more than a metre on Van der Noosen's hand. But the symmetry of all eyes is the great Madame Butterfly, Susie O'Neill. He's coming back. Oh, he surely can't do it to him again. Chavis in the white hats, Phelps in the black hats, and Phelps has got it. I cannot believe he's done that. Thorpe's in front. Thorpe on the hall. Thorpe goes in. Australia win. Joining us today on the show is an Australian team member who's been a part of the squad now for around eight years after making his debut back in 2012. Since then, he's gone on to compete at World Champs, Com Games, and even the Olympics in 2016 in Rio. It is a massive welcome to Off the Block Swimming Podcast to Mr. Travis Mahoney. How are you, mate? Thanks, mate. Yeah, um, pleasure, to be, pleasure to be on and um, yeah, look, looking forward to a, a great chat. Now, listen, mate, I want to ask a quick question because I've messed it. Is it Marnie or is it Mahoney? Because I was going to go with Marnie and I don't know why right at the last minute I put Mahoney. So I thought, <laughs> mate, I'm just going to go with it and ask him. So it's Marnie. It's Marnie, yeah. It's uh, <laughs> it's very funny over the years. Uh, I've got Marnie, Marnie is rare. Most people say Mahoney yeah. and I think uh, I've got Police Academy to thank for that. But no, it is, it is Marnie and... <laughs> But I'm not fussed. I, uh, it's a it's an honest mistake. But um, no, yeah. And you're such mine. a champion. You just go with it. So someone mispronounces your name, and you're like, yeah, it's okay. Don't worry about it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I do, honestly, I've no idea. And the only reason I brought it up was because I don't know why I changed at the last minute. I had in my mind the whole time, Travis Marnie, Travis Marnie, and then I guess because I'm just <laughs> reading, and as I read it, it reads that way to me. So yeah. Anyway. Let's uh, oh, let's well. move on from that awkward moment, um, mate. How are you going today, anyway? Yeah, good. Uh, it's a pretty nice day. It's yeah. not super warm in Adelaide, but um, the sun's out. So uh, just sitting outside on my little patio area and and soaking in some of the sun. Yeah, nice. So, what do you get up to at the moment? So, for example, today, what have you been up to? I know you guys down there in in South Australia. We just touched on before we started this. Have been in the pool for a little bit now. Training. Have you done much training today? Or yes, yeah, so we had it. We had a swim this morning, and um, we're focusing on our our kick at the moment. It's sort of like there's there's nothing really to train for at the moment. So it's kind of just keeping the feel for the water and look for some things you can improve on. So we've been doing a lot of kick sets. Over the past sort of week and a half, two weeks, and then uh, had some gym afterwards, um, and then got home. I've, I've put on lamb shanks for dinner in the slow oh, cooker, nice. and uh, yeah, sat down and just having a, a bit of a relax now before I get cracking into some uni work. 
Mate, very nice. Now, obviously, you know, you've been back in the pool for a little bit now, but when you were in self-isolation, how, how were you coping with that? Did you, did you go crazy? Did you get into, you know, binge-watching things? Did you start doing puzzles? How did you go when you had to be stuck in the house? I think it, it was very sort of abrupt. We were still training, obviously, and uh, had a nap and woke up, and it was like, all right, the, uh, they've been postponed or, or whatever, and mm. Sort of, we went in and had a meeting still, and and sort of Bish, um, my coach Peter Bishop, told us to sort of take a week and a half just to sort of refocus and sort of get over the the bit of a shock and and just relax. And so I'm fortunate enough I do um, uni online, so that was sort of I just dove myself into uni. Um, I got away, went fishing for a little bit, and then um, once we got back, uh, Bish was very keen to get. Uh, a, a sort of a schedule and a routine going so we had um, sessions set up during a, a sort of every day we'd sort of have something on so on the, on Mondays we'd have a yoga session we'd all jump on the zoom and our yoga instructor would take us through a session um, we once the lockdown was was sort of announced um, we got a bunch of equipment from the sassy gym and the gym at the pool and sort of got everything we needed to to keep relative uh swimming type strength exercises up so we had a we'd zoom in for for a gym session and luke uh my gym coach would be able to take us through any sort of technical things that we needed to do and um we could still exercise outside so um thankfully we could go for for hikes yeah. um in the bush and just make sure we'd stay um obviously keeping the social distance rules in place and so sort of every week someone chose where we'd go and we'd all meet and park and walk separately um just to keep some sort of team environment and um so luckily enough i wasn't going too crazy and and that kept us busy enough and three weeks ago we got the okay that we're getting access to the pool and that was um i think music to everyone's ears because that's one thing it's hard to replicate just that that feel for the water and um, unlike the people up north, it, it's a bit chillier in the water to swim down <laughs> south. Yeah. Um, I went for a few ocean swims before we got the pool, but um, I actually got right into my cycling. I, um, I borrowed a bike and some gear off of one of my friends who's on the Australian track cycling team and went for it. He was doing his recovery ride, so a nice easy ride for him. I'd, I'd tag along and, and it'd be quite difficult for me, but um, yeah, I managed to get out on the roads when and I wasn't swimming and, and really enjoyed the change. Yeah, nice. May we mention, obviously, the Olympics got pushed back uh, a year. You know, what effect – I know you had the week or so to, to have off and process that, and I know you've had a bit of uni stuff to throw yourself into, but, you know, what effect did that have on you mentally? Did it take a few days to sort of wrap your head around that and work out what you wanted to do moving forward? Yeah, it was, it was, it was really difficult because you put in all this work and you get yourself into a really good position – to prepare to qualify for the team and then hopefully um, swim at the Olympics, it's sort of very abrupt, sort of immediately fi- finishing, having no competition to sort of test where you'd been. So it's obviously quite hard to, to sort of take in. But um, I just sort of look at the bigger picture and um, if ever I'm sort of a bit down or, or upset, is I just look at how fortunate I am to be in the position I am like this. You know, millions of people out there in famine and don't have clean drinking water or don't have a place to live. And um, in the end, it's just a swimming race. And 
it's not like it's been cancelled altogether. They've moved it back a year, so it's still going to happen. Yeah. But um, I think it's a good opportunity to try and improve some weaknesses. You get an extra year of work. Um, Bish challenge everyone in the squad to pick one thing that you could work on that you wouldn't have had the chance to work on previously. So I chose my flexibility and I've been working on that um, to try and improve that because it's always been a weakness of mine. Um, and so it was sort of looking at what positives you could take out of it and how you could best benefit from this extra time. Um, and we are, we're fortunate in South Australia where we've had access to facilities. And um, I think the organisation by um, Peter and um, SASI, the South Australian Sports Institute, and uh, the state government here, they've been so supportive of, of making sure we can still train and prepare ourselves as, as best as possible. And I'm, I'm like forever grateful that they've been so um, accommodating of us and, and assisting us to sort of help us achieve our goals. I know you guys on the Australian team are pretty close um, and you, you keep in touch through social media and, and all that sort of stuff. Did you did you get a bit of jealousy from the other swimmers, say from Queensland or New South Wales or Victoria, that you guys were in there and, and they were still having to wait? Um. I'm not really. I'm not really sure. I, I, I could only imagine it. It, it would be hard, um, hard seeing other people ha- having access to pools, and mm. well, you're not. But um, I, I hadn't heard anything from um, from other swimmers. Okay. But um, I do think that our program was sort of the envy of all of the programs in Australia. And mm. um, but yeah, it's only from the hard work from all of our support staff and local government and state government ensuring. And Adam, who runs the the aquatic centre here, they were all very, very proactive in terms of putting the place forward. How how can we get these guys into train and and follow all the protocols? And we had to do an online course to make sure we're following the certain guidelines. And there's a, there was only there's only allowed to be six athletes, two coaches, and two lifeguards in the centre. And if you've been to the pool in Adelaide, it's a very, very big area. Yeah. Um, so, but only ten people are allowed in there at a time. We have one person per lane. Um, but yeah, we're very lucky to have it. Yeah, absolutely, mate. Congratulations to you guys, and obviously, you guys are like the NRL of of uh, swimming in Australia, where you know you guys are at the forefront and, and showing the way for everyone else. And hopefully, you know, obviously, you guys have been doing a great job with it. So hopefully lessons to be learnt for all the other states and getting back in the pool. Mate, you talked about there with the flexibility and starting to work on that. What sort of stuff are you doing at the moment and how are you going with that? Um, Just with our yoga we've been doing, I've just noticed that my hamstrings and my groins and my hip flexors have been very tight. So I've just just done a bit of of Googling and found like just a mobility video that you can follow along uh with and i've just been working on that to try and um gradually improve it because i think um it's all good being strong but if you can't be strong in the right areas um it's it's pretty useless so um that was sort of just a little challenge that i set myself to improve it's funny you talk about yoga we were trying to do yoga the other day i've got a um one and a half year old daughter and they've got uh, on YouTube yoga for kids. So we thought we'd have a bit of fun with that. And it ended up just being me and my wife, like looking ridiculous, doing like uh, animal poses with uh, my daughter, like running away from, from the screen. So, <laughs> mate, there's something to get into if you, if you want to change it up is uh, animal yoga. It's very interesting. Um, <laughs> now, 
Talk to me about, um, you know, I want to take everyone back to a, a young Travis uh, in the pool. And for everyone who doesn't know, you obviously grew up in, in Victoria and were there, I think, till about 2017. Is that about right? So, you know, you, you obviously grew up there. Talk to me about, you know, younger years for you in the pool. Yeah, I was, um, yeah, I did. I grew up in, in Bayswater in Victoria, eastern suburbs. Um, I was there till end of 2016, start of 2017 was when I moved to South Australia. But, um, yeah, I just grew up, I love sports. Our family is very sports-orientated. My brothers all played sport. Um, I played basketball, tennis, footy. I literally did. If there was any sport to do at school, I was putting my hand up to do every single one I could. I think I, um, I don't know, I think it was just competitive and, and like I watch all sport on TV and so growing up actually swimming wasn't that big for me yeah. I did mum taught me to swim um I was always probably pretty natural in the pool in terms of being able to swim and naturally and um it sort of started off in primary school I um I thought I'd, I'd have a crack at the swimming sports and they thought oh he's I said I hadn't done swimming lessons or squad, so they're like, "Oh, we'll put him in the in the um, in the B race." So there's the A race with all the faster kids and the mm-hmm. and the B race. And I got in, did the fifty backstroke, and won the B race and swam quicker than everyone in the A race. And sort of that was <laughs> nice. the the start of 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 my swimming. And um, from there, I, I really only swam twice a week until I was about fourteen. I was playing basketball five times a week, tennis three times a week. Like I said, it was it was very busy trying to fit all the sports in, but um, I think it's really important for younger kids to to try as many sports as you want because you never know what's going to be your your best sport if you pigeonhole yourself into one. Mm. Um, and I ended up getting dropped from the rep basketball team, so I thought, you know, screw this, I'm going to have a crack at swimming and moved swimming clubs to allow more training and quickly became the best swimmer that's a smaller club ringwood and then um moved to nutterwadding when i was 16 where they had a, a very good program they've had a very good program for a long time there and yeah. um that's where i met rowan taylor my coach for um what was he 10 years uh, from 2008 or sorry yeah 2007 or so to about 2016 so um and then gradually just slowly improved i only made my first nationals when i was 16 um made a national final the following year and and then i never won a national age medal um and then sort of once i was a bit older i started to to improve a lot more and i was a late developer growing up and sort of never lost the the passion for swimming and um sort of all all paid off when i um you know finally made those teams and and you know i pinch myself every day that i have represented australia and hopefully continue to represent australia it's um it was a, it was a good life, loved footy, yeah, loved all sport. If it's to this day, if there's any sport on TV, it, it'll be on. Watching could be curling, could be could be curling. Balls. <laughs> I'll watch anything. <laughs> anything competitive is enough to get get my interest. Mate, I want to go back for a second, and and obviously you touched on there that you did a bit of basketball. Have you been watching the the Michael Jordan and and Chicago Bulls documentary? Yes, it's it's incredible. I was. Uh, my oldest brother, he was um, he was a Jordan fanatic, and so obviously I was a Jordan fanatic as well. Mm. Um, 
had some Air Jordans when I was six years old, and yeah. I thought I was the coolest kid. <laughs> Kept wearing them even though they were too small for me. Yeah. And this documentary is incredible. I look forward to the new episodes every week, and um, he's just inc- incredible competitor. I mm. think that's um, something you can take from him. His his passion to train and become the best that he can be is is pretty inspiring. I think so too, mate. I think everyone sort of takes away something from from each episode, but I think the main thing that you can always take away is yes he was a legend um and and obviously super talented but just the competitive nature like that that um footage of him um flipping the coin at the wall before they went out to play one of the games and how like angry he was getting that he was losing that like he wasn't even thinking about the game he was about to go play Um, yeah or or making up making up that the the opposition player said something bad about his game, just making that up in his mind so he's so he can come out the next game and, and, and destroy them. That's um it's pretty incredible. <laughs> Absolutely. Now mate, talk to me about some of the heroes you had growing up. Were they swimmers? You mentioned there, you know, you're into basketball and obviously AFL's pretty prevalent down there in Victoria. Um did you have any, you know, heroes that you looked up to growing up? Um well I'm a Geelong Cats man, so um Gary Ablett Senior was God, yeah. <laughs> he was an incredible player, but he uh, had a few um, Cats players I really liked. But in terms of swimming, I think Michael Klim was my my hero. I think watching Sydney 2000 as a 10-year-old really sort of sparked that dream in me that I wanted to become an Olympian and, and represent Australia. And um, that 4 by 100 freestyle relay that they win, I could watch it. I've watched it hundreds <laughs> of times and it yeah. still gives me goosebumps. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so they're sort of my sporting heroes. But yeah, I, I've I've many different heroes in my life, and they're not necessarily all sporting. Mm. It's funny you mentioned that four by one. Um, as we do this interview today, the the episode that I put out was with Ash Callis, and yeah, we talk about that four by one, and and he got goosebumps even just talking um, about it and reliving it. So yeah, it's definitely a, a swim that everybody remembers. Yeah, for sure. I think if, if if you were to sort of if there was one yeah. That that moment and, and the Kathy Freeman winning gold, mm. I think they're sort of two very iconic Sydney two thousand Olympic moments and I think um most I guarantee you most people who were alive when Sydney two thousand was on will remember those moments and, and sort of think fondly of them. Yeah, mate, 100%. Now, we've touched on before some of the challenges going through at the moment. You want to work on your flexibility. But when you were younger, what were some of the challenges you had to overcome and or sort of improve on? So, you know, when the swimmers were in the pool, and we're slowly getting back there now, but, you know, some of the swimmers were probably weak on their kick or weak on their pull or, you know, had to work on their underwater. Was, was there anything that you had to work on as a, a youngster coming up? I think I just I, I had to work on everything. I think um, coming from sort of the back, like my first nationals, I I think I finished second last and third last in my two events that I qualified for, and I never made any development squads or talent ID or and I sort of um, used that as as motivation to try and you know prove people wrong that that just because I'm not in that squad doesn't mean I'm not going to make it, um, and I think that was sort of what drove me. So I think I needed to improve on everything. And that was um, something I would take into training. And um, I think that was a, a, a good driver for me. Um, but I never sort of lost faith that I um, 
could have a could um get my best out of myself and i think that's something that drives me mm. um i want to when i finish swimming i want to make sure i've nef- left no stone unturned and and got, gotten the best out of myself possible otherwise I, you know i don't want to be living with what ifs or or you know what if i change this or if i trained that little bit harder or you know you don't want to live with those doubts yeah so yeah I think um, not losing faith, I think, is quite important because, especially for some of the younger guys, if you're not winning on or not getting selected on teams, I think it's not. You got to think it's not the end of the world. And I think um, some of the best things you can get to motivate yourself is when you have those bad or those down times. I know every time I um, miss the team, it would fuel me for the next training block to ensure that I didn't feel like I did that day. Uh, missing teams by, you know, 0.1 or 0.2 of a second is pretty gut-wrenching. But um, in the end, it, it, I think it drove me to push myself harder to ensure that I could make the team next time and, and, and not feel like I did on those days that, that I, you know, wasn't making the team. Mate, in your own words there, you're a bit of a late bloomer. And in 2012, we'll get to in a second, you make your first Aussie teams for, say, World Short Course Champs and, and the World Cup Series. But... Just before that, there would have been obviously a stage in your career that you were trying to get on these teams and, and maybe it just wasn't happening for you. Was there anything that you had to get right, maybe away from the pool before it all clicked? So, you know, might have been in terms of, you know, your nutrition or your prehab stuff or was there anything away from the pool that you had to get right or was it just a matter of, you know, being patient and making sure sorry, you stick to the process? Yeah, I, I think coming later to, to swimming sort of, I just needed to get those seasons under my belt in terms of just slowly improving and building upon building and building and building and obviously um i made my very first uh, australian team we went to world university games in 2011 mm-hmm. and i sort of had a, a big sort of breakout year that year i had big drops in in all of my pbs and making that team and and going away sort of that was when i sort of first had belief of you know, maybe I, I, I can make an Olympic team or a world championships team. Um, yeah, I think um, the I uh, another thing that really sort of gave me that belief. You said you said earlier that you've um, you've done a podcast previously with Michael Clem. Is mm. you know he was my he was my hero growing up. I had a poster of him up on wall, and um, when he decided to make his comeback and. Um, Rowan told us that he was going to come back and train with us. I was sort of over the moon because, mm-hmm. you know, how often do you get to train with your childhood hero Absolutely. and get to sort of absorb as much as you can off him? And and um, I think I learned so much and he instilled so much belief in me. I, I remember there was a training session. We were doing some freestyle next to each other and um, I beat him once or twice mm-hmm. and we, we sort of we were just speaking after the after session him um just that two of us and um he said you know what like you've got what it takes to make it to the next level i have no doubt and hearing that from like your childhood hero mm. just gave me so much confidence and belief in myself like i uh, i think um just those few words which he didn't have to say i mean he's, he's incredibly lovely and nice person and yeah. um just that little bit of um encouragement i mean you can get encouragement from lots of people but when you hear it from your like childhood hero that you yeah, looked up massive. to it's huge yeah. yeah and i um i'm so thankful i got to train with 
with Michael and and, well, and so many of my other teammates. I, Ash Delaney, when he moved back down to Victoria and I started training with him, he had a huge impact on me in terms of how to prepare and, and train as a, as a high-performance athlete and the way he held himself at training and the hard work he did, I think, was um, it sort of rubs off on you when you get to train with the high-caliber athletes like that. And um, that's sort of what I've tried to do throughout my career. Anytime I'm exposed to an, a different coach or a different athlete, I'm just trying to absorb as much, be like a sponge and soak up as much sort of experience or lear- life lessons or learnings that, that I can to try and make myself a better athlete. Well, it definitely worked, mate. As I said, 2012, you know, you make the Aussie teams for World Short Course Champs in Istanbul and, and the World Cup Series, and you had some success, you know, in that first sort of exposure to the senior international level. What were those experiences like? That was, to, to make, I think, um, to make your first team is, is certainly something that um, every swimmer will never forget. Um, I'd been training really well up to Olympic trials, um, Late 2011, we went on a altitude training camp to Sierra Nevada. Um, best training of my life. Got sick just towards the end of it. Um, came home, was still sick and sort of feeling not great for a while. I ended up going to the doctors and got a blood test. Ended up I had um, glandular fever and mm-hmm. had to spend what, three months out of the water, not mm-hmm. training, just to make sure I was right. So that was sort of early 2012 leading into London Olympic trials, which I thought were a prime target for me to sort of make that next step as I'd been improving that previous year. Mm. Um, but unfortunately sort of had to get put on hold and had to make sure I was right healthy before I could come back. And, and Rowan was so supportive. He's, he's had athletes in that situation before and um, he guided me through it. And we got to the end of 2012 and um, we had short course. And so I thought, well, we'll have a real crack at this. And I went in, I, I dropped, uh, about five or six seconds on my 400 IM, four seconds on my 200 IM, my 200 back, four seconds on that. So huge PBs and qualified for my first team, which was um, an incredible feeling. And then obviously went away and soaked everything up and really enjoyed the competition, went yeah, World Cups to expose myself to some international racing before then. And um, that was sort of the yeah the beginning of the ride and um, – yeah, that feeling when you get presented your um, Australian swimmer pin um, is, is pretty special and that's probably my most um, cherished possession. I've got that little pin with my swimmer number. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's certainly something I'll never forget. Mate, what lessons did you learn through this period? I mean, you just touched on it there that I guess you went through a tough period of time with the glandular fever, but then, you know, you, you managed to come back and then get on the Australian team for short course champs. Is it a matter of, you know, were those the lessons that you learned in terms of staying patient and working through it? Yeah, I, th- I think it's, it's, it's a given that everyone's going to experience different types of failure or bad times or injuries or setbacks. Um, it's a given if you're going through life without any setbacks, I don't think you're really living, but mm. um, it's what you do once you've had those setbacks. It's, is it, do you look to, to, to change yourself or motivate yourself? Um, you can either go one way or another. So um, I just sort of, while it sucks when those setbacks happen, mm. sort of that's life. And um, I think getting on with it and, and just ensuring you can, you can put in the best, effort you can to try and um, 
improve i think that's um probably the main lesson throughout my career i've had lots of setbacks and then lots of really good things happen after those setbacks i think um it tends to fuel my fuel the fire and motivation when when you have those kinds of setbacks i think that's great advice mate now Obviously, you just touched on there the success that you have after setbacks. In 2013, you know, the following year, you were back again at the World Cup Series. And again, very successful. And, and you're actually a part of a swim in the mix, 4 by 50 meter freestyle relay with uh, your teammates, Tomasa Tsonga and the Campbell sisters in Tokyo. Um, now, obviously, you know, we're just starting to see more and more of the mixed relays come into it these days. So that must have been a bit of fun for you back then and obviously an added treat to get the world record. Yeah, that was um, it was interesting. They just brought in that event the just before that short course season, and um, uh, I had no idea I'd be swimming the relays. To be honest, we <laughs> yeah. went to Singapore for the first one, and um, we could enter as many relays as we want. So I think Australia had three relay teams entered, and um, I think I was in the in the B or the C team, and was like. When I say the BLC, like the there, there was clearly a team that was going to be fastest, and um, I just swam really fast out of my skin. And um, Ashtolani unfortunately had um, gastro, I think, or he was a bit sick, so he didn't end up swimming in that in the top relay. So they had to pull out, and I ended up having the fastest time. So when we got to Tokyo, they um, they set it out and, and put me in the eighth team. I definitely think the Campbell sisters carried us to that world record, <laughs> but. Um, I, I was still proud with how fast I swam. I was yeah. not that far off what Tommaso split. But, yeah, that was certainly a very, um, very cool thing um, to be a part of. And those World Cup tours were so much fun, mm -hmm. just getting to know um, not only other Australians that you don't sort of spend a lot of time with um, at the pool and at the hotels. It's, it's sort of – it's like a family. You go away. The, the international – that's one thing about swimming that I think is special is – um, it's like a big family and everyone is so close, um, even internationally. Mm. Um, I, I think it's quite rare for that to happen in some other sports. but um, And that's what I love about it. You sort of can make really good memories. And, um, yeah, no, I definitely have very fond memories from all those World Cup tours I did um, back then. In 2014, you made the Commonwealth Games team for Glasgow and the Pampax on the Gold Coast. How were those experiences for you? And, and was this the start of, I guess, you wanting to make sure you put yourself on the senior Aussie teams from that moment forward in terms of the major championships? Yeah, I, I definitely think that was a, a, a breakthrough to make. a. It's one thing to make a, a world short course team, um, but to make a long course benchmark team at a multi-sport event was um, certainly very special. I um, was pretty nervous going in at trials and I thought I had a really good chance to make it but um, and then once we swam there I think the 400 AM was the second day or something it was sort of just waiting until the last night because um, we didn't know if we were on the team or not so it was sort of an, a bit of a nervous wait but then once my name got um, they came over and called me over they said yep you've made the team it was um, certainly very exciting for, for me um, and for Rowan as well we've set we um Rowan and I have a really, really good relationship. I think he's like a he's like a second father because mm. um, we sort of we have worked from from what was essentially nothing when I was a lot younger, to all the way up to eventually making the Olympics. I think it was um, we share a special bond, and um, yeah, he's 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 awesome. I certainly um, 
would have never stopped um, training with him had he continued to coach. But um, that's sort of the way the things go, and and that was best for him in that moment. So, um, yeah, it was at sort of from then on. Um, I definitely did want to want to make sure I was on the team sort of for as long as I could be. And um, Commonwealth Games was awesome, incredible experience. Panpax was. Um, I was just listening to Tommy's podcast before. He was saying about one of the races where they didn't take their clothes off and because it was too cold. And yeah, I'm not yeah. sure <laughs> anyone who's listening was there or saw the weather. It was uh, torrential yeah, it was downpour for four days straight. <laughs> um, uh, I'm pretty sure it was hailing at some points. The wind, were, the rain was going sideways. The wind was so strong. Mm. Um, so that was certainly an interesting experience to, <laughs> to be a part of. Um yeah, and then at the end of that, you went to World Short Course as well. And I think in hindsight, I probably um, wouldn't have gone to Short Course uh, just because it was such a huge year with three international meets. I think I, I burned myself out a bit. I got a bit sick at World Short Course and then coming back was still a bit sick and sort of put myself behind the eight ball for that 2015 season where I didn't perform as well as I had liked. Um, but, yeah, that's a sort of, you know, Everyone's uh, everyone can make change decisions in hindsight, but mm. at the stage I was like, you know what, this might be my last ever team that I ever make. So um, I didn't want to not go. Just sort of, I don't know. I didn't want to miss out on that opportunity, but in hindsight, I, I would have just um, stayed home and thought I could I get a block, good block in for the following year. But mm. yeah, you learn you learn from your um, experiences and and um, yeah, every experience you have is a learning opportunity. I think. Hey, absolutely. Now, give us a little insight into, uh, you know, swimming-wise and, and comp- competition-wise, especially in terms of your pre-race routine, how you are in the marshalling area before you go out there. Are you pretty chill? Do you get pumped up? Do you listen to music? Do you like to chat to people? What do you like before you go out to compete? I'm pretty relaxed. I think um, racing, for me, is the fun part. Um we do all this training so we can race. I mean, if I could race and not train, I'd love to do that. I'd <laughs> yeah. take that every day. <laughs> racing is the fun part. So yeah. I think by the time we get to racing, I'm just enjoying it. Um, I do listen to a bit of music when I'm doing my sort of dry land activation, getting ready to get in the water. But in terms of getting once I'm in the marshalling room, um, I'm very relaxed. I will chat to anyone that um, listens. <laughs> and um, I sort of... Yeah, I'm, I'm very la- relaxed before I race. Um, I certainly was quite nervous at the Olympics. There's a, a, a funny story. I um, I didn't remember till about three months after the Olympics. I was getting in for training and I, I snapped the strap to my goggles and then I was like, oh, yeah. I spoke to Ray. I was like, did I ever tell you that I broke my goggles uh, before, right before I walked out for my um, Olympic heat? And he's like, no, you didn't say anything. <laughs> And so I'd broken, I broke three straps on my goggles. So I had two spare straps in the in my pocket, just mm. in case, which I don't usually carry. But mm. I thought, you know what, Olympics, if it, if it snaps, I don't want to be yeah. stuck with no goggles. Very well prepared. Yeah, I put it on, snap another one, and then I put the next one on, snap another one, and I look over at the people next to me. I think it psyched them out more than it did me. <laughs> I don't really care. I walked outside, got another. Um, pair of goggles from Lynn Fowley. She's a, a team manager. She's like a team mum. Yeah. Um, and so I got my spare pair and walked in and then walked out for the race. But I obviously was so excited with my 
with my heat performance that um, I sort of just forgot that I'd, <laughs> I'd broken three pairs of goggles before I walked out. But that's sort of like it didn't really um, sort of shake me. I think mm. that's sort of uh, just showing you how relaxed I am before I do I, race. I think that is a great insight into how relaxed you are because uh, I, I know there are many athletes out there that uh, that would have just sent them crazy <laughs> before they went out to race. So. Definitely a great insight. You mentioned there your um, the music you listen to. What what's on your pre race playlist? Oh, I've got I've got pretty eclectic music taste. I got, I could be listening to anything nineties ska or a bit of heavy metal or mm-hmm. some some classic rock or some electronic music or um, yeah, I have I've lots of different <laughs> lots of different tastes. And it sort yeah. of depends on my mood. Um, but I think at that stage I was just I just had Tame Impala um, oh, good, going, nice. so, and um, just their first album, Inner Speaker. I could listen to that on repeat pretty much nonstop. So um, I think that's what was what I was listening to at the Olympics. So, <laughs> but it, it, my ch- my taste change all the time. Yeah, mate. 2016, you go 4:14 at trials and book your spot for your first Olympic team, which you just mentioned there. Um, massive moment for you, and emotions were high. I know you you credit your your aunt, who sadly passed away, with helping you inspire that swim and and that effort. And and I guess I mentioned it, you know, not to upset you, so I apologise if it does. But you know, I more mention it because it's a great example of of not knowing what athletes are going through personally at the time they step out onto pool deck to compete and, and you know you guys aren't robots so a massive moment for you with with the emotions being high and to pull out the best swim you've ever done yeah i think um yeah we're definitely not robots we um we all feel the same things and um yeah she as i was mentioning before my sporting heroes she's she's probably my biggest hero um she's the strongest woman I think we'll ever know. Um, she was diagnosed with a rare form of cervical cancer, mm. and it was sort of ninety percent of people pass away within eighteen months. Uh, very rare. They weren't sure what what the treatments um, could be, but um, she fought for I think eight and a half, nine years. Um, she had yeah. multiple surgeries. She did the Peter Mac ride for a cure. So there's uh, two days in a row riding 100 kilometres, wow. um, and she rode the whole thing. So initially she thought, I'm just going to have a crack and see how far I can ride. At this at this stage she had, she only had one and a quarter lungs. Mm-hmm. She had one of her buttocks removed. She'd had about, I think, seven or eight surgeries by then. And she rode the whole first day, and then um, she stayed, instead of camping, she stayed at our house because we were not too far from the, from the halfway point. Um, and she said, you know what, I'm going to have a crack and see how far I can ride tomorrow. And then she rode the whole 100 k's the next day. And wow. um, she would have surgeries and be out walking. She was from Ballarat. She'd walk around Lake Wendery sort of, you know, two or three days after surgery. And um, she was so positive and so strong that um, it was really inspiring for me. It was sort of, sort of once again, perspective in mm-hmm. terms of, you know, what am I complaining about? This is just the training sessions that hurt, that's hurting. And um, so uh, she passed away in 2015. And I think um, I can credit a lot of my really good work in the pool to her. Um, she, there was not, so there's not a day that goes past that I don't think about her and, and what um, life lessons she, um, she's taught me. Mm. And anytime there was a hard training session, it was like, 
she'd be front of my mind. I was like, what am I complaining about? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, she's so, so much strength, you know, um, that, you know, I shouldn't be complaining about how, if it's a hard session or if I'm hurting in training. And, and then sort of once when I qualified, that was sort of the peak emotion. And um, obviously, there's, I think there's a video out there of my interview post-race and I think it's just pure raw emotion. And um, it wasn't sadness. I was just really happy that I'd achieved my goal and mm. and she'd inspired me to tr- um, to achieve my goal. It was bittersweet that she wasn't there to see me achieve it but um it it was certainly um raw raw emotion and um no yeah i think it's something that that a lot of athletes go through i I, once again i was heard tommy's and he said he was quality when he tried to qualify for his first team his friend had passed away uh i think that day at surf life saving championships and Mm. um i think it's all that's sort of one thing people have to remember that everyone is human and, and sort of, but how can you sort of best use that energy to, to get the best out of yourself? And, um, yeah, that, that was without a doubt the happiest day of my life qualifying for the Olympics. So to, to achieve your dream is something that not many people get to do. And, and that day qualifying for the Olympics was achieving my dream. And, but not to say that that was, that was my final, final thing. Um, uh, we sort of we celebrated that we qualified and then sat down with Rowan and we we made a plan you know how can we improve from there mm. um and how can we I'd set a goal once I made the team to make the Olympic final that was my goal and we set out a a, a plan on how I could just improve my breaststroke slightly technically um in terms of my hip position and that was sort of something we worked on for 13 weeks and I, I dropped another 1.7 seconds in my heat at the at the Olympics and qualified for the final and finished seventh. And that's something I'm incredibly proud of. I think um, the fact that I achieved my goal, did a personal best at the Olympics, is is something um, pretty special that not many people do. And I'm as proud of that seventh place. So I think anyone is as proud of winning a gold medal or a medal or or whatever. I'm I I, yeah, I couldn't be more proud of my performance uh, that I had in Rio. Oh, absolutely. Now talk to me about your experience away from the pool, though, in Rio. Like, you know, what was it like behind the scenes? Did you did you bump into anyone famous, any athletes from other sports? You know, did you enjoy, did you enjoy your time in the village? Yeah, it was the village was interesting. Uh, that's for sure. Um, well, I think we got there. There was only uh, one of our toilets was working, and <laughs> no shower curtains. And, always a good start. But that was sort of everyone has to deal with that kind of thing. Um, mm. I was very jealous. I went to the outdoor dining room when the dream team or the new dream team were, were in the dining hall. So I missed out on seeing any of them, but I did get to ride the bus home with Manu Ginobili and Luis Scola, who played for Argentina. Yep. Um, managed to get a photo with them. That was pretty cool. Um, and then I got to see so much sport. Like, like I was saying earlier, I'm a sports nerd. Yep. So I went and watched the basketball. I saw some indoor track cycling saw some athletics. I saw Usain Bolt win his ninth, the nine of nine gold medals, sorry, win his ninth gold medal. We sort of, we kind of snuck into a a press area and and got perfect seats right at the finish line. And um, we got to, we watched him warm up the, the, um, before the race as well. We got out into the training track and just sat on the grass, watched him warm up for his whole race, which is, I think that's what's so special about the Olympics is, is 
you get these experiences that money can't buy. Mm. Yeah, the richest person in the world couldn't couldn't just buy what I experienced. Like I can only get there from the hard work and and dedication that I had. What was he like I before the before his race? Just out of curiosity, was he pretty chilled and relaxed? He seemed pretty chilled. He had the tunes on. He was just running through his his little routine warm up that he obviously does before a race, and um, something that you you see it on TV. You see the athletics on TV, and you think, "Wow, they're like they're running pretty fast." Uh, but until you see them in real life, and you're standing there and you're seeing how fast they're running, yeah, it it blows you away um, to see it up close to see how fast they're actually going. I think that probably is like similar for them watching swimming as well. Mm. Um, sometimes on the TV, swimming can look a bit slow, but I think um, certainly when other athletes come and watch, they sort of realise how fast we're moving through the water. Um, but the cool thing was the Australian Olympic team is, is quite special in uh, everyone's on an even playing field, whether you're an archer, you're an archery, or you're a shooter, or you're you're one of the basketball players who play in the NBA, everyone just hung out in the downstairs area. You play table tennis together. Um, I think that's sort of like everyone. Everyone. Oh, hang on, sorry. You're right. What's happening? Someone was trying to call me, so I'll have to cut that out. That's <laughs> all right. It's all good. Um, yeah, everyone's on a, a on a perfect playing, like a level playing field, and everyone respects that you're you've got to that level, mm. and it's sort of that's quite nice to experience. Mate, what's the table tennis like when you when you're down there and you're playing with the other players? Is it all pretty? Uh, oh, it's competitive. Pretty, yeah. Oh yeah, I, I think everyone's got to the Olympics because they have that competitive, <laughs> that competitive animal in them, and no, none of none of the elite, no top athletes like to lose. Mm. I guarantee you that. So, um, I didn't play that much because I'm not that good. <laughs> so I avoided getting upset by losing by not playing that much. But yeah, I think um, there was uh, everyone sort of brings out their inner competitiveness. <laughs> Mate, give uh, the listeners a little bit of insight into, say, a race plan for the 400 IM, which, you know, you've been known for, for for most of your career. Now, I know you've had, you know, two fairly high-profile coaches in Rowan Taylor and, and Peter Bishop. Has the race plan changed, you know, since the changing of coaches or has it been fairly similar? I th- the race plan played, played played out pretty similar with, with both coaches. It was um, ensuring that I could... Uh, work my strength and and sort of save my legs for those for the breaststroke, which is is quite important. Butterflies always been my weakness, and it was ensuring that I could be out fast as easy as possible. Yep. Um, ensuring I had that easy, relaxed butterfly was always something quite difficult for me that I really struggled with to race in season when I wasn't tapered. My butterfly was I, I could go out almost as fast but it would be taking that much more out of me mm. than if i was fresh and then i think that because the backstroke my backstroke was always has always been my strongest stroke i think um we wanted to ensure that not that i was absolutely cooking myself in the backstroke but really take advantage of of how strong um that leg was and i think in Rio, I had the second, or the yeah, I think I had the second fastest backstroke split, and I turned second um, at the two hundred, mm-hmm. and that was always my strength, sort of that backstroke. Um, 
And then once we got to the breaststroke, it was it was quite more just focusing on my technique in terms of my rate and my hip position. Um, with with my race strategy, it was almost sort of sort of a feel. I had to make sure I was feeling I was flowing. The backstroke, I was always soft legs, but with a certain rate. I had to make sure my rate was high enough. And then the breaststroke was quite always quite um, technical. But um, And then freestyle, we just had to bring it home and, and hold my technique, whereas as I fatigue, my technique would usually tend to fail, and it was sort of trying to hold as smooth as possible while, while still um, powering home. But in terms of race strategy, I think... We had trained so much that it was it's almost auto, it's automatic by the time I think you get to that stage you're in you're running in your sort of autopilot zone you're making sure you're not thinking about too much but like one or two cues that you want to stay on um, to hold your plan and I think um, what I was good at is not worrying about what other people are doing I think when I was younger before I took sort of this step to being an elite athlete it was I used to worry about what you know, Joe was swimming next to me. And I think uh, the moment that I sort of realized that it doesn't matter what he does, that's not, he can't possibly affect my race. I can affect my own race by thinking about what he's going to do, but um, it's sort of a wasted energy worrying about what other people can do. And so I would just try and stay in autopilot and, and, and stick to my, um, what I trained to do. Mate, talk to me about the move in into South Australia in 2016, 2017, sorry. You know, what prompted that? How hard was that decision for you? Um, and, and we just touched on there with the 400 IM, which obviously you were, you know, very known for, you know, throughout the, the main part of your career. But obviously at the beginning as a, as a junior athlete and at the beginning of your career, you know, you were heavy into the 200 backstroke as well. Has that been um, an event that you're, you're continuing to do or has your priorities shifted slightly with the move as well? Uh, yeah, so the, so the move was... Um was quite hard. I think, um, as I said earlier, I had such a, I have such a good relationship with Rowan and, um, I would have never left him had he continued to coach, but, um, that was what he, like in the end, that was the right decision for him and that's what he needed to do. So I was always going to support that. He's, he's a friend, he's a friend first and then, uh, so I coach second, uh, sort of, I, I care about him, um, being happy and enjoying his life. So um, once the decision was that he was going to stop coaching, I sort of had to decide where I was going to train and, and what I wanted to do and sort of had a few options. I went uh, I went up to Queensland for a two-week trial with a week and a half with um, Michael Bowl. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a trial with um, Scott Talbot who took over from Rose position at Nutterwadding and I came over to Adelaide and had a, a trial with Bish. And um, Bish was just, he, I think he was just the best fit for me. Mm-hmm. He's, um, he's high energy. He's hilarious. Mm-hmm. He's very supportive. We'll always have you back. And I think at that stage I was, I was um, ready to move. And I had a brother who lived in Adelaide already and it's not far from home. It's a little bit closer than, than Queensland. I yeah. could, I can quite easily just go home for the weekend if I need to to see family now. Um, and the facilities here in Adelaide are, are second to none. Um, I think we have the best pool in Australia. We have our own gym. 
that we get private access to that um, the public can't get into until after 11 a.m. Uh, we have recovery centre here. We have uh, physio rooms set up, so if we need treatment, they come to the pool. If we have any meetings, they're at the pool. It's sort of all in this one big hub. And I think if you were, before I moved, and speaking to Rowan about where I would move, yeah, he said, you've got to look for where you can be the best high-performance athlete you can be. And if you were to say the best place to be a high-performance athlete, I think Adelaide and with the program would be that answer. And so that made my decision quite easily. The yeah. fact that I get to train with um, Kyle Chalmers, who amazes me every day in training, seeing yeah. the stuff that he does, yeah. inspires me every day. Um, it certainly helps when you've got training partners like that. And we have a great squad of a, a, a great number of athletes now that are at that um, high, high end national or international level. Um, in terms of changing strokes, I, when I moved, I had thoughts I wouldn't, I um, may not do the 400 IM again, just because it, it is such a grueling event to train for and having to train by myself with no other medley trainers, swimmers here, mm. um, I think would have taken a toll on my, my um, mental health and, and my desire to stay in the sport. Mm. Um, and I think we made that decision after Commonwealth Games that I'd said um, I didn't want to swim it anymore just to keep myself. I think if I was my only option to swim that, I think I, I, I might have stopped swimming earlier. But um, we've made the, the decision to move to backstroke now and because um, the 200 backstroke and the 200 IM are on the same day um, at the Olympics and Olympic trials, we sort of had to pick one. And backstroke's always been my natural my natural stroke it's always been my fastest and i'm really changing strokes really sort of re-energized and revitalized my motivation to train mm. um, i think just having that change in in um in focus was enough to sort of yeah like i felt like i was young again and, and had that desire to improve and um i think we've seen some really good um, improvements um, through the ISL. I, I've done PBs in my backstroke short mm-hmm. course. So, um, yeah, we've transitioned into training full-time backstroke now and um, I'm really enjoying it. Mate, you mentioned the ISL there. Chat me up about your experience in the ISL. I mean, you were part of the uh, the Aqua Centurions um, along with, I think, other you know fellow Aussies like Kayla McEwen and other stars like Federica Pellegrini. What an amazing concept, you know, for our sport to begin with. It must have been an awesome experience to be a part of it all for you it was it was awesome um i'd it was sort of late last year and um i'd just been through a breakup and i was feeling a bit down mm. and um I'd, i gave tommy fraser Holmes a call just for a, just for a chat and just to sort of get my mind off things and and we were just chatting along and he said you know have you spoken to any of these any of the isl teams and i it hadn't even crossed my mind that it's something I could do. What? Um, and he said, "No, you should, you should um, hit them up." Mm-hmm. There's been some people pull off teams, and I thought, you know what? Um, let's do it. Mm-hmm. So I reached out. I Instagram direct messaged every single team yeah, yeah. Um, with a with a big thing saying my best times and how I think I could be quite versatile in terms of swimming medley and backstroke and and even freestyle relays. Um, mm-hmm. My short course freestyle is actually. Um, not too bad. 
And I heard back from a few saying, sorry, we have our teams full. And, and um, the Aquacenturians came back and said, yep, we're, we're happy to have you. And they're like, but we ha- we have to swim the 400 freestyle on the 400 I am. And I said, I don't care. I'll swim <laughs> whatever you need me to swim. I just want to get involved with it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so um, I, I hadn't. I told them I haven't swum a 400 freestyle short course, I think, ever. <laughs> um, but I'm confident that I, with my training background, I could I could do a good job and mm-hmm. and and give everything for the team. And um, yeah, no, I, I owe Tommy a lot just for suggesting that because um, it was it was really good for me to get away, travel internationally after the breakup. Um, it was awesome just to go to mm-hmm. went to America and Europe and and got to know so many new people on the Italian team mm. like uh, in Rio we were set up next to them but obviously um, when you're on that Australian team you really sort of stick to the Australians when you're warming up and stuff yeah but being on their team getting to know the Italians they're lovely people I've got multiple places I can go and stay in Italy yeah, nice. um, now and and um, yeah the, the racing was fun getting to know what everyone was fun um, I love short course racing the fact that it's over really quick and there's lots of relays um, really excited me. And um, I say being on Federica's team was when we had our meet in Naples, we were like, uh, there's paparazzi around the buses mm-hmm. and she's a superstar over there, obviously. Yeah. yeah. And um, it was the atmosphere for the home meet was, was incredible. They had big flags, drums. It was like being in a soccer game. It was, it was very, very fun. And for them to be supporting our team, um, I really enjoyed it. It was, um, definitely a great experience. And I'm, um, um, I'm looking forward to like getting involved again. Um, whether that goes ahead this year or, or not, we'll, we'll wait and see. But, um, yeah, I think that's, um, something I definitely want to do more in the future. Hey, talk to me about what you get up to away from the pool. So when we're not, you know, going up and down the black line and, and, and in the gym, you know, training towards obviously, you know, getting your peak performances right, what do you get up to away from the pool? Uh, I study online. Um, initially, when I first got out of school, I started doing a biology degree. That lasted about six months. And mm-hmm. I decided to focus on swimming and just do a little bit of part-time work back then. And then... Um, I did a, did a bit more uni when I was later on in Melbourne, started doing a teaching degree and uh, realised after not too long that that was sort of not for me either. Mm-hmm. And um, when I got to Adelaide, we uh, I sat down with the careers guy and, and we spoke about what I enjoy and um, what I would like to work in. And so I've started studying a, a Bachelor of Business in Marketing and um, oh, nice. so I'm studying, studying online. And so I'm doing three subjects a semester at the moment, so it's keeping me very busy outside of the pool, but mm. I should um, be graduated by the middle of next year, which times up perfectly for sort of my last little burst in swimming before mm. I move on to my my um, second life, I guess. Um, but, yeah, that's certainly keeping me busy enough and I'm really enjoying um, learning learning about it. And um, that's all online. So even in this – with the pandemic going on, it hasn't really – change at all because it's all built for online i feel sorry for all the uni students that are doing courses that were not made to be done online Mm. i think it would be quite hard to transition to online learning when you're not used to it but it certainly takes a a great deal of of um commitment and um and dedication to to ensure that you do do the work because there's sort of 
you're not going in. You've got to set aside your own hours and, and, and figure out when you're going to do all your work. But, yeah, that's keeping me busy. I've had a few assignments due over the past couple of days. So a bit of a hectic time at the moment in the semester, but mm. um, it should start to get a bit easier after this and then focus in towards exams in the middle of the year. How do you find the balance between, you know, training and uni and, and life? Is is it easy for you? I mean, obviously with the pandemic, you know, probably got a little bit easier because the, you know, the effort towards swimming probably wasn't as much as it needed to be. But as you slowly start to get back into the pool now and things start to ramp up, especially maybe towards the back end of the year, you know, how do you find the balance? Is there certain key things that you need to do to help, you know, find that for you? Yeah, I certainly think I couldn't do this when I was younger. I think um, I just wasn't as organised. And I think organisation is so key and planning when you're, when you're going to set out times to do your work. And and it's doing this online learning has forced me to be organised because there's only so many hours in the day that I can do the work. And um, I've managed to keep it up all right at the moment and and so it's sort of just making sure i set aside time and and um in the end uh training does always come first for me that's my number one focus yeah. um but luckily enough um flinders university where i'm studying have an elite athlete program and and the vast majority of of um tutors and and lecturers are all really understanding and flexible with me it's sort of making sure you communicate early just to let them know that this might there's not not you know not waiting until the day before an assignment's due and emailing them and saying look i need an extension it's sort of letting them know weeks in advance that you know look this may be a busy time for me with training and um they're usually very good in terms of being flexible giving extra time or or moving stuff around and i think um yeah, it's certainly it's hard to keep it all in, but um, it it keeps me busy enough, and it's actually been yeah, it it was it was a saviour when we weren't swimming, mm-hmm. because I could just put all my focus into my uni, yeah. and um, yeah, if when you don't have anything to do, I think that's when you can really struggle. It's sort of finding something to to keep you busy, but fortunately enough, we're looking like we're on the improvement um and hopefully some more pools around australia can get open and some some uh, some of the other australian athletes can get back into a a nice schedule and, and rhythm and um get back to some sort of normality yeah, absolutely now when you hang up the togs and the goggles and i'm not implying that should be anytime soon i mean that's that's up to you mate i think you've got a few more years left in the tank but you know, when you do hang it all up, you know, where where was life going to take you, do you think? Have you got a plan, you know, moving forward and, and what you want to get into? Yeah, I, I, I'm really enjoying the, the branding side of, of marketing and um, fortunately enough, being in South Australia, I think it's it's quite a tight-knit sports um, community and mm. luckily through Kyle, I've met some, there's the, the guy who was head of marketing at Port Adelaide and I've become quite good friends with him. He's now working um, at the AFL uh, in their marketing department, looking after all of the northern regions of Sydney and, and Brisbane and Northern Territory. And he's been really good in giving me just some advice and, and some readings. And um, luckily he's got some contacts in Adelaide. I would like to, to one of my subjects for uni is an online, is a, a sort of an internship sort of workplace um, hours. And um, I want to try to get in in this this branding company. It's sort of world-renowned branding company in, based in Adelaide, and I would like to get in and see what that's like and 
sort of see if that's a, a, a pathway I'd like to move into. Um, I certainly want to be involved in sports mm-hmm. or act, uh, like active lifestyle or something within those realm um, because I am such a sports nut and I think um, that would be where I'd be most passionate. Um, I think dream job would be working for the John Cats, <laughs> living down on the surf coast yeah. in Janjak or something. Um, I think that's like pie in the sky. Like I would love to do that. Um, but I think it's sort of, it's hard. It's quite hard to plan because I don't really know when I'm going to retire. I think um, when I get to that point, I'll know I, w- I want to retire. And um, whether that's next year after the Olympics or after the following ISL or maybe even the Com Games because they're only another, um, only one more year after the Olympics now. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you never know. So I, I don't like to put like a, a, a date on when I'm going to finish up. I'm yeah. just going to swim for as, as long as I can because um, this is a finite opportunity. You know, once you stop, you stop. Mm. And I mean, swimming's it's a hard sport and it's there's not much money in it, but um, this is all experience that, you know, sort of money can't buy. And um, I've got the rest of my life to work a normal job. I can only do this. Um, for so long, so I just want to get the most out of it I can. I mean, absolutely. Um, I think you know one of the main things I like doing, you know, on this podcast is is to give all the listeners a little bit more of an insight into the Australian team because obviously, you know, from the outside in, uh, it's hard sometimes to you know to get to know uh, the ins and outs and the characters that might be amongst the team. So, mate, I like to always finish with our chats, finding out a bit more about the Australian team and and you've been on more than a few teams now so I think you'd be a perfect person to help us do that. So what I'm going to do is I'll start a sentence, um, for example, funniest person on the team is and then, you know, you just whack on a name at the end of that um, that you think best suits someone from the Australian team. Yeah, okay. All right, so you're ready to rumble? All right, so here we go. So I already gave away the first one. Funniest person on the Australian team is... Uh, I think it's a, there's a, a real, we, we've got a little group that we all laugh along quite funny. I wouldn't say funniest person, but, um, <laughs> Kyle, Tom Fraser Holmes and Alex Graham. Yep. Zach and Serdy as well. Um, we've got a little group, a little group that we, we sort of chat to each other and it's always very funny. And when we're on teams together, it's, it's always a, a really, really good laugh, but, um, yeah, I, I wouldn't say there's one funniest person. I think just hanging out with the with the group of boys, yeah. um, there's always bound bound to be plenty of funny stuff come up. And yeah, I really, enjoy, I really, I think that's something I really enjoy about um, the Australian swimming team is just getting away and enjoying time because um, it's a special bond that you share when you um, are swimming for Australia together. And I, um, I've had most of those boys on, yourself included now. I think Cole's the only one I haven't had on yet, and uh, I can corroborate that, yes. Uh, some interesting characters amongst that group and some very funny stories, so yes. I agree. Yeah. Mate, what about the biggest pest on the team? Is there anyone that, uh, you know, just pushes the right buttons? The biggest pest? Um, I don't know. That's a, that's a hard one to, to answer. Usually, if, if people are pests, I just probably just ignore them and move on. <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, that it's it's a very hard. Probably Sorry. Tommy Fraser. He's yeah. a bit of a pest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, no, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Tommy's great. Uh, mate, what about the leader or the leaders of the team? 
Um, Tommy, I think Tommy's he's been on the team for, for quite a long time and I think um, everyone can sort of rally behind him and he's got so much experience. Um, yeah, I think he's he's a real leader and um, I think from all the teams, Matabut, he was not, you know, like not necessarily the best swimmer, but he was someone who you could always talk to and he's very compassionate and, and someone you could, he has the val- the values of a leader and um, I still keep in touch with him um, uh, most weeks. And, um, yeah, he's certainly someone, oh, yeah, yeah, a leader and a, and a dear friend. And I'm sure you've been on a few nights out after, uh, you know, championships have ended. What about the best singer or dancer on the team? The best, I reckon Josh Beaver, he, he used to pull some great moves yeah. after a few beers. Yeah. He was... Um, He's he's pretty famous for some of his dances. I think he was in pretty good form post Rio. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he was. He had some great dance moves. I think he's um, he's a winner. Mate, who gives the best advice? I mean, you mentioned there Tommy Fraser Holmes. Is, is there anyone that you go to for for advice? I think oh, I think Matt Aboot. I think he was um, on the Olympic team. That was he's been on the team for so long, but that was his first Olympic team as well in Rio, mm-hmm. and. Um, I go to him for uh, life advice as well because he's been quite successful out of the pool in terms of um, in work. He, he sort of had been working at Commonwealth Bank and he now works at Optus he, as the assistant to the CEO. Um, so he has certainly lots of advice and life lessons for me and that I, I'm just trying to absorb as much as I can from him and and sort of so I can put myself in the best position to, to be successful in my career post-swimming. Mate, 2021, what's it got in store for you? Obviously, you're getting back in the pool now and you've been in for, you know, four weeks and no doubt you and your coach and your team have started setting your sights on, on where you want to get to. What does 2021 have in store for, for Travis? Well, you know, it's hard. To, it's an unknown, really. We, we, you know, no one knows until you get there and I think that's the, that's the great thing about life. You can make all these plans and goals. Obviously, I would love to make my second um, Olympic team mm. in the um, 100 and 200 backstroke, but um, in the end, I can only swim as fast as I can. If, if there's other people swim faster, that's sort of nothing I can do about it. I obviously want to do ISL again next season, but um, it's sort of still... As much as there's this, this sort of more certainty that Olympics next year, you sort of you never know. I think you've got to prepare for anything can happen. Mm-hmm. Um, it's quite uncertain, um, which is scary. But um, no, I, I'm I'm not too stressed about it because it's uh, in the end I'm happy and, and safe at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, hopefully I've, I'm making some more teams and going away overseas and enjoying my life and, and training hard and, and racing. Racing plenty. That's what I. That's what I've. I think I, I've all missed over this period now is the racing because that's what I love to do. Mate, awesome. I think we'll wrap it up there. Um, Travis, yeah, easy. Mate, thank you very much for coming on for a chat, and mate, I appreciate you taking the time to to come on and share some of those great stories. And good luck over the next few months with, you know, training, getting back in the pool, mate. Now and and sort of building your your aerobic capacities back up and your fitness, mate. And hopefully, you know, trying to book your spot for Tokyo Olympics next year, I mean, and hopefully mate, somewhere down the track we can get you on for another chat. But till then, thank you very much for coming on Off The Block Swimming Podcast. Thank you. Today's episode is proudly brought to you, as always, by Pro Swim Workouts.
You only have one day to get involved in our fantastic arena back to swimming giveaway valued at $250. All you have to do is make sure you're following Off The Blocks and Arena Australia on Instagram. Head to our Insta page and find the competition post. And in the comments, you need to tag a friend and let us know which has been your favorite episode of the podcast so far. It is as easy as that. You will then go in the running to win the Arena Back to Swimming giveaway with a backpack, kickboard, and racing goggles, all valued, as I said, at $250. So the clock is ticking, people. Jump on Instagram right now and get amongst it. Tomorrow on the show, we have Aussie Paralympic legend Brendan Hall coming on for a chat. You will not want to miss this inspirational interview with one of the world's best. I cannot wait for all of you guys to hear it. Until then, have a great day. Please look after one another. And it's bye for now.